I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm in Carter. I run hip hop with animals on Twitter. We use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. I enter to the fifth element. We highlight the fifth element hip hop with his knowledge and. Uh, we dance with the devil, ladies and gentlemen. get there this is gonna be a long one yeah. <laughs> buckle up <laughs> hi babe how's your week been what have we been this week well firstly it's been a great week i just want to give a quick zipper update on uh, what happened with the zipper last week oh my god the oh listeners god. won't see this but charlie Come will on. see this the zipper oh. fixed you can hear it you can even hear see listen to that zip now <laughs> it pays to have a mother who can sew and who also loves you. And my mother, you know what? Big ups. Sewed my Big zipper ups. back on. So. My mum sews as well. <laughs> yep, she has like shit. that's like she has like Virginia, Virginia, uh, golden Virginia tins with just sewing shit in there. Yeah, it's probably like double my age. It's glorious. Big ups, mums. Yeah, big ups, sewing mums. Yeah, Shout out my mum. Shout out my mum. So I listened to this week Quavo's Rocket Power, which. I was 100% sure I would enjoy it. Oh, good. Took one for the team. Yeah, I took one for the team. I didn't know I would enjoy it because I didn't really enjoy his last solo project, whatever that was called. But I did actually really enjoy this. Uh, I didn't think he was trying to chase a chart. I didn't think he was trying to do anything particularly out of the box. But the beat slap, uh, Quavo sounds great. He actually slips into some nice cadences here at times. Uh, the tracks would take off, rest in peace, take off. Takeoff is skating, like actually skating. Some of the best rapping I've heard him do in years. Uh, the tracks with Future are great. Future sounds decent. Um, the track with Young Thug's good. It's good, man. It's really good. Uh, there's a little period towards the end where we get Young Thug and Baby Drill and uh, a couple of other uh, Takeoff Future. And then we get like three tracks to end it. Not Done Yet, Rocket Power and Greatness. And I appreciate Quavo giving us his perspective on his life and where he's been and, and what he intends to do uh, in the next five to ten years. And, you know, that's what I thought it was from Quavo. I thought it was quite introspective. So, yeah, it was good. I don't think it's designed to sell lots of records. I think someone said it was going to sell 30K first week, which is decent. Um, but, yeah, no, solid. Gigs, uh, zero tolerance. Yeah, I, I don't like oh, gigs. Oh, another takeoff of the team. Look at this guy. I, I don't like gigs. I, I don't know. We've said it a Proper million. team player. <laughs> We've said it a million. You know why? You know why I check this out? Because on... Um, Can't wait for the gigs retrospective. <laughs> yeah, that was never coming. <laughs> well, I just can't sit through him. You know why I listened to this album? is because on We're All in the, Alone in This Together, he was fucking amazing. Like, he sounded uh, incendiary. Uh, you, you, you got caught in the trap. I got caught in the Dave the East trap, bro. And Dave East yeah, is on yeah, here. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> A gig's feature hits different. It does. 50 bro. minutes of it, however. No, terrible. I got like four songs in and I'm like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> so I skipped to the features and even they weren't that great. And oh, no, it was a mess. It's not for me. I'm not saying Giggs is a bad artist. I just don't particularly like him very much. Um, Unknown T dropped a four pack and it's good, man. It's really good. It's quite. Um, it's it's quite eclectic. I did not expect it to go in these different directions. is is brilliant. I, I enjoyed it a lot. So shout out uh, shout out unknown T. 
Um, what else did I listen to here? I did not listen to the Dame Dollar album. My apologies, Don Dollar. I need to need to get that spin. <laughs> Genesis Owusu dropped his second LP, Struggler. Um, I don't know, man. Like at first, I didn't like it that much because it felt too poppy. It felt like slow ties ugly. Uh, but Genesis Owusu makes that kind of music. He already made that kind of music on his debut album, and the bigger songs on that album sound very similar to the songs on here. Uh, the concept behind it is actually quite fascinating. I'm not going to dive into it here because it's it's quite uh, intricate. Once I read that and understood where he was coming from, it made a lot more sense. It really did. So on the second listen, this was actually great. The first listen, I sent it to Charlie. I was, I was like, oh, no, Genesis Owusu. Why did he do this? He's gone down the major label route. But like he hasn't done that at all. I, I re-listened to it uh, in a better headspace and understanding the album a little bit more. And um, I'm curious as to how this album unfolds over the next five, six, seven months because it's a bop at times, genuine bop. There's some indie rock here. Uh, there's some, you know, it, it, I can't describe it any other way than as a lot of it sounds like Ugly by Slow Tire. Uh, and there's plenty of albums that sound like Ugly by Slow Tire. I'm not saying he was the first one to do that. Um, but that was just the first thing I thought of. Um, but yeah, no, it's solid. I, I want to listen to it more and it, it's quite a dense... Uh, narrative so check that i reckon check that out google it because he did a couple of interviews about it i think he did an interview with connor as well before the album came out. i think that was the one i read um so shout out connor uh estg el toro 2 uh people love Actually, it's eastern standard yeah, eastern, time g yes. so below the hip hop. shout out below the hip hop um yeah eastern standard time g <laughs> which is funny man whoever whoever tweeted that out originally shout out to them well well played I need to find that so we can credit them el toro too uh a lot of people really like this album i did not i did not like it at all um i don't know man did not enjoy it there's a couple of, of stretches here where he sounds quite menacing and aggressive and that's what I like with ESTG. You know, a lot of people are saying that this is a good switch up. He's going in a lot of different directions. He's, his lyrics are a lot more personal. He's trying to sing a little bit more. Oh, pardon me. That was disgusting. He tried to sing a little bit more. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't. I, I just didn't. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. The beats weren't for me. Um, yeah, I didn't enjoy it that much. Mick Jenkins, The Patience. Oh, bro, this man cannot miss. Holy shit. Does he just keep dropping great fucking projects? I adore this front to back. I've only listened to it once, but fucking hell, man. The track with JHD, amazing. Track with Benny, amazing. Freddie comes in at show and tell. That sounds great. Vic Mens is on here. That's great. Uh, nah, just really, really good project. And just typical Mick Jenkins. Typical Mick Jenkins. Like, very dance lyrically. Um, and just a warm vibe, you know, I went through a little period last year where every morning I was just watching Mick Jenkins videos on YouTube just to calm down because they're just chill. He's a chill artist and it was, it was calming me down. You do the same with the Zyra Shad. Um, but no, this is well worth the wait. I can't remember what he, when he's, I think he dropped an EP, uh, two years ago or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. that was the circus. The circus. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, this is this is great. CS Armstrong, Come As You Are, very, very good project. Enjoyed it a lot. Shout out CS Armstrong. Black Shadori dropped off top four. And yeah, he's trying some pretty fucking cool cadences on here. I, I'm I'm fascinated about Black Shadori's the direction he's going right now and what he's trying to do. He's really trying to express himself and, and push his artistry into a different direction. And 
yeah, I, I fully respect that. You know, if I have a criticism of a lot of artists in the underground right now that are in the, the mainstream underground, if you know what I mean, like people we are aware of that aren't charting, is that flows can get pretty fucking generic and pretty much the same. Not saying that all of them sound the same, but they tend to have a hallmark flow that they go back to all the time. And Black Shadori is obviously trying to break out of that mold. And this project was great. It's only, what, one, two, three, four, six tracks or something. I, I reckon check it out. Uh, Key dropped Marquise, and I did not enjoy it. Um, disappointing. I didn't listen to Sierra album. I really wanted to. Um, but I'll have to get to that next week. Yes, okay. Um, what else did I listen to? B- uh, Peter Sun dropped a three-pack called Three Piece. Brilliant. I never listened to Peter Sun before in my life, but that was brilliant. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and I think that was it. Uh, Aphex Twin. I listened to the new Aphex Twin project. Semi-decent. Um, yeah, that, that was about it for me. What about yourself, Charlie? Yeah, just P- Peterson sounded... I don't know what else, but okay. Peterson. Um, P- Peterson. I don't know. I just heard it weird. Um, anyway, Crisis, uh, Follow the Music, actually, part, well, this is one of two, um, soon to be several, um, projects done by members of the Soul Council, obviously, Ninth Wonders Production Collective, uh, so to speak. Um, so, first one was Crisis, Follow the Music, and then this week we also had uh, Cash with Cash Don't Make Beats, Aha, you lied. Uh, and they're both really solid. I feel they it's going to be interesting because I know what a Ninth Wonder sound sounds like. Uh, I know what a Crisis beat sounds like. And it's going to be interesting. And E. Jones as well, actually, now I say that. But there's a couple others. Uh, um, you know, Eric G. Uh, Cash, probably the least out of the bunch. Um, you know, they, they have their own particular flavors. But it's so clear they just like, they have kind of a, they have the same foundations, but they build different houses. And uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, Going to be interesting to listen to as an experiment. Uh, whilst we get to uh, Amaka, uh, Oasis, uh, fire fucking artwork, just absolutely clean, crispy. Um, but yeah, just a really good, I think, um, interesting linkage um, just with everything contemporary now um of you know having this afro element but having this r&b element as well you know i, I was like if, if there's like a if there's like a remix edition that could be made here i would so just i'd be really here for that because it lends to a lot of just musical ideas i guess um that, that doesn't inspire me to make music per se but uh it it, it it renders a, it, it. It takes a lot of hallmarks from a lot of things, and I really enjoy it. Just the the way it turns into one big thing. Uh, Mick Jenkins, the patience. Uh, shout out to uh, Brandon. Uh, did the cover story um, uh, with Mick Jenkins um, for OK Player. Give that a spin. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's killing it. And um, yeah, solid album. Really can't complain. Um, Elephant in the room, by the way, was the uh, other album that was bef- after the circus. Um and yeah, that obviously that was I think very extremely dense, probably his most dense project. Um and I feel like this one has a very a lot looser, a lot looser. Um kind of like the shirt he's wearing. Just you know, just nice and loose. Nice and loose, not too not too tight um on the fit. 
And, um, you know, comes through with some good stuff. Mission and Star, really enjoy. Smoke Break Dance with Jid, Fire, uh, 2004, Pasta, uh, Mop at the End, Vic Mentor's Verse on Farm to Table, Crazy, Super Tough. Um, but yeah, it's really good, uh, really solid listen. Uh, definitely uh, one of the more, one of his more replayable um, in recent years. Uh, see a Armstrong come as you are. After getting deluged uh, with uh, EPs um, that are kind of like, is this actual EP? And then it, you know, sometimes bleeds into something bigger. And I'm just like, I don't know what, what is why anymore. This is officially an album. I checked and uh, I'm happy to... Uh, give it a spin and listen to it, and it was great. Really enjoyed it. Uh, funny enough, Mick Jenkins is on track two, and I actually played both albums back to back, so it was kind of a, it was a very nice transition, uh, really nice, easy transition. Asia Monet, new fave uh, for me on our cry today, absolutely amazing. My boy Khan, stay down, really enjoyed that as well. Uh, Buddy as well on Soul Survivor, really good features, really good features. Uh, Coco as well, last one, and um, you know, just really. He just has obviously this, you know, southern um, locality, and he really just squeezes it and just wears it on his skin. It's absolutely, it's crazy. I really enjoyed that. Really respect that. Um, and in contrast, Dame Dollar <laughs> with Don Dollar. Um, I think that's kind of my issue. I don't. I don't. Honestly, I don't know why. Um, it's been. Uh, just realised now for me for this, um, but I, I don't know. Maybe I've listened to I think all of the uh, Dame Dollar projects. Dame Dollar, for those who don't know, Damien Lillard, world class basketball player, um, currently at Portland, but hopefully Miami. Fingers crossed. Um, and he drops some bars now and again, and drops some albums now and again during the off seasons. Um, and you know, it's kind of like he's kind of in that. Uh, He's kind of in that Dave East um, and also that uh, shit. Who were we talking about a couple of weeks ago? That was kind of exactly the same vibe. Just when when you listen to them, uh, reason. There you go. Um, you listen to them and you might enjoy enjoy them in the in the as you're listening to them. But as soon as you stop listening, forget everything. Just 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 completely forget everything. Um, and yeah, I get that with Dame. Honestly, like I don't get why a dude from Oakland, and this is the problem. Like, um, you know, this is an overall hip hop problem that people. Um, I listened to one podcast last week during Hip Hop Fifty stuff, and they were talking about you know the lack of locality, and I was thinking about it really deeply. I was just like, yeah, that's probably true. I thought that a few years ago, and I totally kind of abandoned it. But I feel like if you're from Oakland, guess <laughs> what? It's not Oakland. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? It just sounds like in it just sounds like US rap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just just US rap. Uh just that super run of the mill. Just here's some trap beats and here's some maybe some percussion going along with it, you know what I mean? Just to spice things up a bit. But it just comes off as a bit bland to me. Um but yeah. Anyway. We get. To, I think that's uh, it for me. Just quick check, and uh, yeah, we good, baby. We live, and we get into our topic for this episode, uh, which is um, the ever um, enigmatic uh, immortal technique. Um, just it, this is how I think. Just a big of a presence I find him. Um, before, obviously, we were doing this episode. Uh, before we even decided to do it, it was probably like two tracks I've listened to out of more techniques, uh, 
discography, and both of them rendered me into shatters, um, just dis- just dissolved on the floor because they were just so absurdly dense and just uh, from a storytelling perspective one of the two best stories told on music is just absolutely crazy um just a level of pen and it never brought me it, it never brought me to actually listen to the whole discography hence why we have this show most of the time where it's just like there's probably no no i probably wouldn't do it <laughs> if it were for the pod um and we'd just been those two songs, and I'd be fine with that. Um, but there's so much more um, to it, and uh, obviously a story to uh, reckon with on top of the music. So that said, Ben, what have you got for us today? Uh, yeah, absolutely. This is a, it's a dense topic, man, more technique. So as Charlie, as Charlie said, you know, I'm similar to him. I've heard Dance with the Devil, but I've not actually spun an Immortal Technique album. Uh, never in my life have I done that, which is a bit weird. Um, you know, he reminds me of kind of the explosion of political and social conscious rap in the early 2000s, Aesop Rock, Abstract Rude, Atmosphere, Bus Driver, Sage Francis, Chino XL. And he's one of the more influential MCs in the underground. And his story is genuinely fascinating. So this is going to be a bit of a long, dense episode. Uh, well, how could it be any other way with Mortal Technique? But he was born in Peru in South America. But his family became embroiled in the civil war being waged between the Peruvian government and a Maoist guerrilla group named Shining Path. Now, Mortal Technique was born in 1978, but shortly after his second, just his second birthday, the fighting broke out, and it only worsened as a third group joined. And I just giggled a little bit because the third group's called the Tupac Amaru Revolutionary Movement. No relation to Tupac whatsoever, but a very random name to just come up in uh, in the research. Very odd. Um, but their their addition to the fighting ensured that Immortal Technique and his family were no longer safe in Peru. So they fled to Harlem, where they entered into a new battle, which was the crack ec- epidemic of the 1980s. So his worldview was shaped not just here. He told The Quietest back in 2008 that he actually returned to Peru when he was five or six years old, just a few years after leaving, to visit his relatives. And what he saw shook him, and in part inspired the lyrical direction he would commit to when he eventually began to rap. And he qu- I quote him from The Quietest, when you're a little kid, you have flashing images and you can see and remember little things. But I can clearly, distinctly remember a completely different world than the one I was used to that I left behind in Harlem. The poverty level is a lot different. The fact that there was a guerrilla struggle going on at the time definitely illuminated a lot of things for me and was incredibly powerful to see. Everywhere you went, there were people with machine guns, Uzis, blocking all public entrances, searching people at random, kind of like what we've got here in the States now. So he spoke in depth about this juxtaposition, for example, in the track The Third World that appeared uh, on his 2008 tape with DJ Green Lantern. Um, And he spoke about it in depth. You know, he said, for example, I'm from where the gold and diamonds are ripped from the earth, right next to the slave castles where the water is cursed, from where police brutality is not half as nice. It makes the hood in America look like paradise. So his dedication to his beliefs and righting the wrongs of the world sit at the very core of who Immortal Technique is as an artist and a human as well. He told the same interviewer from The Quietest this when probed about his socially conscious content. He says, Hip-hop started with both these things. We have to remember that hip-hop had a side of it that was just about partying, enjoying life, and we shouldn't look down upon that. There are people who sing songs of joy and people who sing songs about things that they're not experiencing and things they don't have because they wish they did have it. They see that as success. I would argue there's different levels of, of success. 
you know, having chains, cars, having lots of women, that's not success. Not as successful, I'd say, as having one woman that really loves you and cares. Physical property that makes you look good isn't wealthy as being good, as being in a righteous position in terms of owning property, owning your own home, owning a business, which you also use for tax purposes so you're not getting fucked by the government every year. People try to talk about all those people like they're all puppets. The sad part of the industry is that they've specifically targeted the other side of hip hop, which is obviously the cars and chains, etc. Now, that I thought that quote was really important and it will become very vibrantly apparent that that is how Immortal Technique views the world and lives his life. And if I were to list all the ways Immortal Technique is given back, we would literally be here all, all episode. Suffice it to say, he absolutely gives back. He's truly dedicated to writing injustice and balancing the power structure of the world. His most recent album dropped in 2008 and it actually charted 99 on the Billboard 200, entirely independent. But in the ensuing 15 years, he's dedicated himself to the world, engaging constantly in uh, philanthropy and charity. So I wasn't sure how I was gonna feel about Immortal Technique. For example, we did the Chameleonaire episode, right? And I went into that thinking I was gonna break down the actions of some sort of true genius. But we left that episode acknowledging that that expectation was in no way met. All Chameleonaire did was repeat Instagram captions over and over again, like it was, it was useless. So I went into this episode with hesitation. Even within a few minutes of the bootleg Kev interview uh, he did late last year, he admits to being a staunch supporter of the Second Amendment, and there are entire pages dedicated to exposing the hypocrisy of Immortal Technique's lyrical content and his overarching mission. So I wasn't sure if we were about to dive into the story of someone who has discovered all the right things to say, but has no intention of living by those words. And trust me, those people are fucking plentiful in the world. They're very plentiful. If you're sitting at home wondering what the fuck I'm talking about, consider yourself very lucky that you've not come into contact with them, but you will at some point, and they will supremely piss you off. It exists. But Immortal Technique, from my perspective, is absolutely not one of those people at all. In the Bootleg Kev interview, he said, Revolution isn't sexy. It isn't about just having a beret and running around in the jungle with a gun. You have to get your hands dirty and help people. It's not always easy. And I think that perfectly highlights that hiatus from music. In the 2020 NPR portrait of him, they wrote, Immortal Technique is a legendary underground hip-hop artist known for his skills on the mic and raw, highly political lyrics. Today, Immortal Technique spends his time working on philanthropic... Fuck, that's a hard word to say, bro. Philanthropic causes much of his work is just you know there's my two here's my two friends here philanthropic uh, philanthropic yeah that's right philanthropic well fucking done bro holy shit <laughs> yeah working on philanthropic oh it's fucking that all right that's gonna that's gonna change my life that's gonna change I'll my stand life it. That's fucking change language my life. skills i have my synonym finder out here i'm like i have to replace every philanthropic word here with something else <laughs> So I can, Unbelievable I, techers. I continue the quote. Um, Much of his work has been centered in Harlem, especially in the past two months of the coronavirus pandemic, along with donating to various charity organizations. He's going out in the neighborhoods to deliver food and run errands for those unable to go outside due to COVID. So during the Bootleg Kev interview, he did discuss handing out two-week food packages to people struggling with poverty, claiming that his organization had fed over 10,000 families. And his his work during the pandemic was life-changing for the people that he's helped. And there's now this... um, his legendary interview with Abby Martin from January this year, where they discuss the concept of civil war, because you've got to think about a more technique. There's, there's so many aspects. Yes, he wants to help people, but he also wants to be politically outspoken and so like socially outspoken. 
So in this Abby Martin interview, um, they're discussing the concept of civil war in America, and Immortal Technique conflates, and accurately, I believe, the hidden civil war that has already been waged in America and most Western countries between the haves and the have-nots. And he speaks eloquently about the role of journalists in perpetuating the status quo in order to hide or dismiss the atrocities that are being committed against regular people every day by people in power. He actually calls journalists animals in the skin of humans, which I thought was fucking great, bro. Like he he's sitting opposite a journalist just eviscerating her. And Abby Martin's a great interviewer. You know, she's, she is. I'm not, it's not a criticism of her, but he doesn't give a fuck. Like, he doesn't give a fuck. And his politics are entirely nonpartisan. He will happily criticize Obama for the drone strikes in the same sentence as criticizing Trump for literally everything. He refuses to be wedded. He seems to refuse to be wedded to a political ideology in case that becomes an invisible cage around him. He doesn't want to be caged and he wants to be able to talk and, and speak his mind. And I do get the impression he loves his country. He told an interviewer back in 2008, he loves America so much, he wants it to be a better place. In the Abby Martin uh, interview, he actually says... A civil war in America would cause the United States to give up their number one position to either Russia or China. So there's clearly a healthy helping of nationalism there, which is something I personally struggle to understand. I don't get it, but you know that's part of the contradictions and part of who Immortal Technique is. Um, and there's plenty of sources out there who claim he's a conspiracy theorist. Even on the Bootleg Kev podcast, he starts speaking about Bin Laden's ties to the U.S. government. But he's also quick to point out that these are not conspiracy theories that evidence supports his words. So he's aware that people call him a conspiracy theorist. And I think that's a, a core part of a moral technique, just as, not just as an MC, but as an advocate. Because that's what he's become. He's become an advocate for the downtrodden. He explains his opinions clearly, eloquently. And to be honest, with brilliant insight, in the Abby Martin interview, he discusses the world moving further and further right after 9-11, and he describes himself as someone who tried very hard to stay relatively left and not be swept up in the fear and paranoia that pushed people in the center far into conservatism. And, you know, he says this during the... And I know I'm talking a lot, but this is all relevant, man. He talks a lot. He, there's a lot of information out there about him, and I want to get a good handle on his politics before we jump into his music, because I... That I just want to explain it and so people have it clear in their mind because there's a lot of misinformation about mortal technique out there. There really is. So during Bootleg Kev, he said, Police have come to my house, Homeland Security. I didn't become a citizen until I was 17. So they brought an ICE officer with them as if that was supposed to intimidate me. An individual like myself is lawyered up. I can't fight the system by shooting back at them. That's what they want. If I'm sitting there trying to get my point across... I don't want to be censored, and I don't want people to control that aspect of the music. I have to take those precautionary measures ahead of time. And I think that's the perfect place to dive back into his story, because he said, I can't fight the system by shooting back at them. That's what they want. And this system is not loosely defined. It's any individual or politician or party or corporation or organization taking advantage of a power structure to further their own means at the expense of someone with less power, which is the core of capitalism, which is why a mortal technique has been described constantly as a socialist and even a communist, something he addresses often in his music. And if you didn't already know, by the way, if you're sitting at home, communism is not evil. It is not inherently evil. Socialism is not inherently evil. Capitalism is. Okay, Google it. Please Google it. I won't bore you with the details here. Um, I might even destroy your worldview. I don't want to do that, but Google it if you're ready for it. So in Mortal Technique, I'll go back to his story. He began rhyming age nine. 
He actually attended the same high school as Lin-Manuel Miranda, and it was actually revealed back in 2016 that um, allegedly Immortal Technique bullied Lin-Manuel Miranda in school. And during an interview given to the W2F podcast, Immortal Technique clarified what happened and, and said that they're on good terms now and it was a miscommunication. Um, and Lin-Manuel Miranda backed him up in that, so shout out that. If you're curious about the criticism Immortal Technique has faced in his career, this quote, man, I'm gonna read this out. So this is the other side. I've given you my side and how I feel about more techniques is what the other side is saying. So this was published by Spin by Andy Cush, and I quote, rightfully or not, and this was about the Lin-Manuel Miranda thing, that's why I'm bringing it up now. Rightfully, I'm quoting right now, this is not me, I'm quoting. Miranda and his beloved expensive hip-hop musical have become punching bags this year for leftist critics, a cultural stand-in for the kind of money, clueless liberalism that now seems powerless in the face of Donald Trump. See Miranda's working of Notorious Big's Ten Crack Commandments as a pro-Hillary Clinton anthem for a prime example of this dynamic at work. Immortal Technique is a crusty socialist rapper who gives interviews about Hugo Chavez and rails against the drug war and the Patriot Act in some of his best-known songs. The image of Immortal Technique literally throwing Lin-Manuel in the garbage is sort of a perfect crystallization of the fight that consumed the Democratic Party and the left in 2016. And you'll never get the organization that Mr. Kush end up at, Pitchfork, of course. Of course he would end up at Pitchfork. So anyway, fuck it, man. Like This this is a long story, bro. It's a long story. So Immortal Technique, I'll continue. In his teens... He was not a lawful individual in his teens. He told DJ Vlad, I used to believe you could solve everything by fighting. And this led to multiple instances of incarceration. Um, and he says in, in this interview to Larissa Alexandrinova, Alexandrinova, sorry if I made that name wrong, I apologize. Uh, he said, we were robbing, breaking into people's cribs, and it was not because I was starving. I was by no means rich. I had the basics. I just wanted shit. And so he attended college, uh, but he still hadn't given these ways up. He continues in that same interview, I took that mentality I had to school with me. My first few months of school, I went to a party and me and my friends from school got into a gigantic fight with a bunch of crack dealers and we beat the fuck out of them. And looking back at this as a young adult, as someone who was just crawling into adulthood at that time, I think to myself, you know what? You're lucky you did not get yourself killed in that bullshit. But I did get arrested on a gang of assault charges. And the interviewer then remarks that he spent a year at school and then a year in prison, which are two very different methods of education. He actually ended up attending a university in New York and he took political science. This was after all this had happened. Um, He was staying with his father and his father had conditions for housing him uh, that were he attends school part-time and that he keeps his GPA up. So Immortal Technique said he was uninspired during his first day in college. So for his second, he took political science. He maintained a 4.0 GPA and he said it changed his life. He realized what he could do in the world. And those few months in college in New York were the basis for his entire career and his life after that point. It was so pivotal to him. But first, obviously, he needed to figure out how to create a career. And remember that Immortal Technique is so fiercely independent, he's never entertained the idea of jumping up and down to get a major label's attention. So his rise through the battle rap ranks began at the pinnacle of the bling era, but it was also a watershed moment for underground hip-hop because Blackstar had driven the backpack rap era into the mainstream spotlight, and the Soulquarians were ensuring that socialist conscious content and music that didn't chase charts was actually charting and finding the ear of plenty of label execs. Because you've got to remember... Labels don't give a shit about what's new, what's exciting. They care about what people like. 
So people like the Soul Quarians. So they're like, oh fuck, let's go sign a bunch of people who sound like the Soul Quarians. That's just what labels do. They don't they don't take risks or anything like that. Um, so, but Immortal Technique, instead of going in that direction, he entered the battle rap arena and he left it with a career in rap. Um, and you know, he told Nerve Magazine back in 2014, his battle rap era helped him immeasurably. Um, you know, he said that it helped him to work a crowd, to be on stage. <laughs> During the Bootleg Kev uh, interview, he said the reason there are so few free mixtapes in his discography is because he threw all his might behind touring. He said during the 2000s, he would regularly play between 200 and 250 shows per year. And he hasn't stopped touring. He continues to tour to this day. And, you know, he was so entrenched at the time in the battle rap scene, he would see potential everywhere. Iron Solomon, who was an accomplished battle rapper, told Forbes back in 2012 that he won. Iron Solomon won a competition and Immortal Technique just happened to be there. And he didn't agree at the result. So Immortal Technique challenged him to a battle on the spot. And he actually lost. Immortal Technique lost that battle. Um... And so when he was talking about battle rap, uh, Mortal Technique told Vlad just how difficult it was to earn money in the battle rap scene, telling a story of a battle he agreed to participate in with a prize of $500, which he won, and they recorded the performance and sold 14,000 copies of the DVD. Immortal Technique said he never saw a cent of that money. He told Vlad there was 150000 in DVD profits, and they paid him a minuscule $500. And I'll quote him now, and this is the last one I'll quote before we jump into the first album. Because I find this fascinating. I think it links up heavily with his views on society in general. He says, and that's the way the game works. If you're not educated to it, then all you're entitled to is less than a third of a percent. That's what you got. If you're not happy with that, then don't do it no more. So I said, all right, fuck you. I'm not doing this anymore. And it was literally the last battle I did. They're making money off me and I'm not seeing that. I want to be more in control of my business career. And that pretty much sums up how he feels about the world. But you listen to that. That's a capitalist statement. That's why it's complex with Immortal Technique. That's a capitalist statement. You know, He ag- admits that the system's broken and it's fucked up. But he exists within the system. He's like, I'm not going to destroy the system. I'm going to go do something different. That, you know, and, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how you survive. That's how you live. That's how you exist. So I just love this man. Like I know I, I went on there, but I just I fucking love him. Water technique. So, 2001, he self-funded his debut album, and we get Revolutionary Volume One. Yes, we do. A um, couple of names that um, pop out to me, uh, just out of you know, just for obvious reasons. But Gene Gray and Marley Mar. Oh, Marley Mar, just. Producing. I don't know if that's it, a I, I, I wonder how. I want to know how this. Can, how this. Uh, uh, it might be actually. Um, hang about. Uh, creation destruction. Uh, yeah, just uh, our green. Um, but yeah, so I must. I, I'm just. I'm just. <laughs> I'm just taking what I'm given here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I'd like yeah. to know how that happened. Um, uh, but yeah, Gene Gray as well. Um, I just. I don't know. I just find that fascinating. Just that particular link up. Um, but yeah, I think. I mean, you. You kind of uh, said. Well, I was going to say, but I was going to go down a different route for reasoning um, or, I guess, an example to use. Uh, but you basically mentioned just like his, this can be, uh, you know, encapsulation of him, right? In that complexity and stuff like that. But I don't know, bro. I feel like you could just listen to Creation Instruction and read the lyrics and you're kind of getting, it's literally just the, I find it's just like the Immortal Technique starter pack in what he actually says and the statements he makes i feel like he makes just a lot of 
just a lot of it, just a lot of uh, just flag planting, um, and it's it's very it's very energetic. Um, and it's only a couple of verses, not even that. It's not even that dense or long. It's such a couple of verses, and that's it. Uh, but it starts off with this: more technique disintegrates mics when I spit. I cause more casualties and sunken slave ships. Falls the capacity, I bring tragedy to rap without my man Gaddafi. <laughs> the government fought, took Nazi scientists from Germany to design nuclear rockets and ways of observing me. Because their pathetic attempts didn't work to murder me. When this country was conceived, these bastards never heard of me. But now I hold the souls of slave masters eternally, bleeding eternally, burgundy during surgery, verbally, because I'm a spirit to which devils are incompatible. I've been around since the planet was inhabitable. And that's just half of the first verse. It's just, it's so fucking good. It's just silly. It's just silly how good it is. And it doesn't really stop throughout the album. It really doesn't. Um, there's always a point made. And I don't know, I feel I feel like out of the three, I feel like I prefer this one out of the bunch. Because there's kind of like a satire to it as well. And I really like that. The, just the just the little moments there, just the little moments of like um, uh, light lightness, I guess. Um, none more just um, giving you whiplash from a song to song transition. Is spend some time remix brackets interlude as well, and then going into dance with the devil, which is just a, a just a a very what? Why'd you do that? <laughs> That's, that sequencing is just not fair. It's just really not. Because I can... I remember the first time I spun this, this song. And it was actually um, in conjunction with a fan-made music video. Animated music video. And I thought it was the official video for half a set for, you know, for the time. Um, but then I just watched it again. I was like, oh, wait, it's not. It's just some fan made it, right? Um, but... It's a fan-made, animated version of of just depiction of Dance of the Devil, and it's just really, really powerful and just really good. And I know, I remember listening to that. I remember watching the video, listening to that song. I'm just like, "What the fuck is going on? This is crazy! Holy shit! Holy shit! Holy shit! Holy shit!" And you just, and then you just, you're just a puddle by the end of it. Um, I will say in the listening experience from uh, this particular one, where that was just the main track, um, this one on the album has a hidden bonus track um, in the same track, quote-unquote. Um, so right after Dance of the Devil, we get like this three-minute uh, three song with, like, uh, with Diabolic. And, um, you know, it's good, but it just do- it doesn't, it doesn't um, you know mix quite well um in terms of just the immediate vibe afterwards i don't know it's just like you're telling the story of stories and i'm just <laughs> and now i just have to listen to just you know to do spitting i don't know i just feel like i need something else uh for the meantime or just you know letting that ride and then maybe putting it afterwards i don't know just it, it's just very immediate for me but anyway um but yeah, apart from that it's probably my only gripe with the album um, just the sequencing, I find a bit off, but yeah, when the songs get into their groove, oh my gosh, it's 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 really crazy. It's really crazy. The the most left wing shit you'll ever hear on Wax, like, and you know, it's 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 
definitely revolutionary in some ways. Like, it's just, like for 2001, that's a that's a crazy time to put an album like this out. And uh, I can imagine people that f- would listen to this um, that week would have very polarizing reactions. And um, I can imagine it made incredible conversation uh, on drop day. Yeah, man, I think it's in the years since. I mean, the thing with this album is it just didn't do that well commercially at all. It, it just didn't. Yeah, I'll talk about that in a second, but... um. It was. It's an incredible album. It really is. It's an incredible album. Uh, if you can actually find yourself a copy of the original CD, they're worth two, three hundred dollars. There's only one copy for sale on Discogs right now, so you, you didn't really go anywhere when it first dropped. And Dance with the Devil is, you know, where I'm probably going to start because obviously so many people have talked about that that track, and there's so many words that have been written about it. It's still part of the collective consciousness. People talk about it all the time on social media, which is a rarity. Um, you know, to talk about a song from an obscure early 2000s album that no one cares about anymore apart from this one song, it's, it's, it's freaking amazing. And I think it's the centerpiece of his career. And, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a very dark song, doubtless, but I'm curious to hear how other people feel about it and what aspect pushes it over the edge for them into a song that stands alone as one of the darkest things laid on wax. Because... I think, you know, the track has every single aspect of what makes a model technique so amazing. As far as quintessential songs go, we've talked about it sparingly on this podcast because it's not a common thing to get a quintessential song. It's it's hard to do. But this might be one of the most quintessential songs in a rapper's discography in history. It does not have any political statements in it, which is maybe why I would, you know, maybe push back against that. But apart from that, this is this is a model technique. It's exactly what he said prior in that interview where he said, I'm lawyered up so I can say whatever the fuck I want, whenever the fuck I want. I don't ever have to worry about being censored. I don't have to worry at all. And that's exactly what he did here. And the first verse, I'll talk about the story. I'm not going to repeat the words because it's brutal. Um, But the first verse lays out the main character in the story, William, and his obsession with materialism and consumerism, which is fueled by his disconnection from his mother through her addiction and the peer pressure of those around him. And he's presented as someone who's truly lost, who has never had a chance to develop a sense of self and an identity separate from his surroundings. And thus, his surroundings engulf him and they take advantage of him. In this moment, I feel like a mortal technique is making a vivid observation of America's systemic oppression and how this has led to poverty and thus desperation and everything beyond that, crime, abuse, neglect, violence. And from this desperate place, people act. And as the song progresses, we see William's actions and his motivations behind them. And a mortar technique takes aim at capitalism. And then in the chorus, he could arguably be dissecting mainstream hip-hop in the late 90s. The mafioso era, era had morphed into the bling era. And tales of violence and greed were becoming essential ingredients in hit, hit albums. And they still are to this day, to be honest. But the song leaves the world of fast cars and expensive champagne and it slides right into Netflix documentary territory and it's a harrowing listen. I'm not going to repeat the plot, as I said, uh, because I don't want to read those words out on a Monday morning at 6am. It's, it's 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 tough to even listen to. Like I listened to it again a couple of weeks ago um, thinking that I was ready. You know, I'm like, I've listened to this song before. I, you know, I've, I've been through some shit. I, I don't want to... No, 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 no. I listened to it. I'm like, oh God, this is making me feel very uncomfortable. And it's it's so incredible that a song could even do that at this point. Like we are so desensitized to everything. We watch the most horrific shit on Netflix every fucking day. We hear about atrocities committed all the time. But just the vivid storytelling here is, is 
And you know, the tracks earned plenty of acclaim and notoriety. Complex had it number 10 on their list of 25 most violent rap songs of all time. Heist and the Body placed the third verse at number four on their list of scariest rap verses of all time. And it is scary, it is scary. Um, you know, Mortal Technique has faced plenty of criticism and plenty of questions over the content. At the end of the track, he reveals he could retell the story with such clarity because he was part of the group that committed the act with Billy. Uh, and as such, he's had plenty of questions about which parts of the song are true and which aren't. In 2004, he told an interviewer, with Dance with the Devil, it was a true story that I made myself more of a part of when I wrote the song. It became urban legend. And what's sick is that people thought it was about rape, but it was really about how we are killing ourselves and destroying the most valuable resource that the Latino and black community has, our women. When he spoke to Bootleg Kev, he laughed at anyone who thought he'd participated, saying there's no chance he would ever engage in anything remotely like that, but he does confirm the story is true. He even offers to take people to the building in Harlem where it took place. But what this song did for Immortal Technique, sorry, Immortal Technique's career, it gave him his first true taste of notoriety, of virality, but it also introduced the world to someone who supremely did not give a fuck who he pissed off in the pursuit of his overall endeavor, which is equality, safety for the oppressed, justice for those held under by existing power structures. His album isn't stacked with political statements, but they're all political statements because his intent is to change the status quo. In 2011, he performed with Lauryn Hill and Rage Against the Machine, and he actually performed Dance with the Devil. And he told Hip Hop DX in 2020 it's his most popular song globally. And it's a little bit surprising the album didn't earn more praise the time it dropped. Rap reviews reviewed it, but not till four years after it had come out. And it quickly went out of print. Um, it was repressed in 2004 by Baby Grand, but no one cared about it when it dropped. It's, it's shocking to me. It had production from Jean Grey and a feature from her too. You know, Marley Miles on here. I would have adored this album if I'd actually heard it in the early 2000s. I was a voracious consumer of all this kind of music. Chino XL, Abstract Rude, Most Deaf. I crave music like this. But as is the way, an album that so resolutely challenges convention will find no friend in convention. And in the early 2000s, the internet and social media was not in a place to present this kind of music to the masses. You know... I've said this at the end of the pod, but I'll say it now. This album dropped 10 years later. I think it would have gone fucking crazy. And I think Immortal Technique would have had a very different career trajectory. So maybe it's a blessing that it dropped in the early 2000s. Maybe it's good that it didn't like go crazy like it. I think it should have. Because it's a great album. There's nothing wrong with this album. It's a brilliant album. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And then we get Revolutionary Volume 2. Uh, well, it, that kind of neatly goes into my what was going to be my final point which is very close to yours and i feel like just any of these could like the if it it, it achieves that if it dropped today uh, the further we get into the future the more prescient that will be (laughs) you know what i mean it's like if if revolution volume one dropped like uh fucking 10 years from now it'll be even more popular because i feel like you know these views will be i I believe, right? And I don't know the future here, but I feel like there'll be more of this, uh, you know, coming through at some point. Who knows? Uh, it, there's only one way to go, ladies and gentlemen, in most of these things we have in these days. But anyway, volume two. Um, yeah, just um, it's this. <laughs> this is kind of just where I, uh, I don't know. I, st- I I think this is a lot more. Uh, I guess focused. If I should, if, if that's the word, I feel like focus is the word because 
I don't want to say it in the sense that the first one wasn't focused, you know what I mean? Like, he says, you know, when he says shit, it's so, it's it's on such a level that you can't, you don't just say it for kicks, you know what I mean? You don't say, uh, this. it wasn't in this album, but he says something like, uh, I got the White House in a scope. I'm just like, mm, okay, <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Did you actually say that? What the fuck? Um, but... Yeah, this uh, this I th- I feel like this has a lot more, um, just uh, st- more to the point, I guess. Even though it's longer, Ugh, I can't describe it, guys. It's just it's it's it is as good right as the first one, because um, if you wanna if you want vivid story ten once again, you have the second track that I was gonna mention, which is you never know with Gene Gray. And this one is even more absurdly jarring because it's like a really fucking good love story. <laughs> and it's just really, really like it's really heartbreaking as a story. It's just it's like fuck. Like you you think you listen to like when you when you <clears throat> you know, there's like them TV shows now and again. There's it, it always comes around like once every like five years or so, where like it just this man man woman thing go goes on right, and that's the entire show's premise right. Man woman, what happens right? And regardless of how loose or specific it can be right, you could play fast and loose with it right. But there's always one that just goes super popular, and I feel like if you really just made like a little. I don't know, film or limited series about this particular fucking song, uh, it's it would it would hit. It would definitely hit. Um and yeah, that would just require a lot of decisions on pacing and how much you want to just beat the audience down because fuck me, this is, this shit can beat you down, bro. Like if you if you ain't ready for it and you don't, you're not, you're never ready for the first one because it just it just keeps coming. Yeah. Um and in, in, even between those, they leave you this like Jean Grey's vocals on the hook leaves you with this false, I guess, sense of security, right? Where like it sounds like things can be optimal. Uh, maybe that's just me, but then, <laughs> and then Walk Technique just grabs my uncle, just drags me back down, and it's like, oh my gosh, fucking hell, this is getting worse. How's it getting worse? Jesus Christ, let him just live, man. Let him live. Um, but yes, it's absurd. It's nearly eight minutes. It's just, it's fucking crazy. Um, so that's the that's the other prepare yourself track. Um, but yeah, past that, um, Harlem Streets I find really just um, super raw. Just in this in again the scope of it is just so oh, perfect. Fourth branch as well. Mm, tough freedom of speech kind of. What you were alluding to, just being lawyered up and stuff like that, he just goes into it with just such easy depth, um, and yeah, just it's 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 worth it, man. It's all it's 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 worth it. Like the the, the amount of information he packs in, the an hour and seven minutes doesn't feel like a waste. It never does. It never feels like a waste. None of these run times make it feel like a waste. Um, he doesn't fuck about with time. I feel with these two albums. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, yeah, man. Revolutionary Volume Two. 
uh, yeah, you know, his, his debut album may not have made any waves, uh, even though it was uh, repressed by Baby Grand. But that didn't happen until 2004, which was a year after this album, by the way. So his, his debut album was never repressed because of on, on the strength of its own. It was repressed on the strength of Volume 2. He was actually named in the source's unsigned hype column in 2002. In an interview promoting this album, he stated, I'm still who I was before. I just enjoy the beginnings of an independent success. I've shipped about 23,000 records and sold about 20,000. This doesn't make me the richest in the game, or in the underground even. I can't afford to be gassed up. I still live in the hood with what I had before. I'm not a flashy person. I wear the same clothes, only now people are trying to holler at me and pay me to wear their clothing line and shit like that. But I take everything as another step. I don't chalk them up as victories and then sit on them. I got unsigned hype. I was the dude to beat in the underground for a couple of years. Enjoyed many battle victories. Did huge shows. Got the hip-hop quotable. Sold more than anyone thought I would. But to be honest, these things mean nothing if they're not backed by action, by a sense of commitment to the ideals that I began this project with. And that's why I said earlier, if this had come out, if, if his debut album had come out 2014, 2017, for example, um, I do wonder if he would have gotten sidetracked. You know, Immortal Technique never hit the heights. He did, I guess he does, because his, his next album, his third album, Child of 99. Um, and it's not like he wasn't being courted by major labels. He said in numerous interviews that major labels were absolutely trying to sign him around this time, and he refused all their uh, all their offers. So I think I even said it. I've I've got a quote here. How how unironic. Um, he he told the same interview that I quoted above. He says a record deal is alone because he said that a lot of people were were trying to sign him. He said record deals alone, alone with a lot of strings attached. I have the financial backing now that I've proved myself from Viper Records selling so many units independently. So what the fuck do I need to give anyone 75% of my earnings for? What the fuck do I need to give anyone 50% even? I need distribution and a good relationship with retail. A distribution that'll really push my product and make it priority and give it shelf space and post the placement and not just pushing it out there and putting it in a few listening booths. I'm not opposed to signing with a major, but I don't need their wasteful million dollar loan. I can release a full-scale industrial attack for a few hundred thousand. When I've sold 50,000 volume twos by the end of this year, I hope someone has the God-given sense to realize that. And to see that I rock shows in the hood, I can perform at colleges, I can tear up a show for people who don't even understand what the fuck I'm saying. I don't need your label. I need distribution and a good relationship with retail. And pretty much everything this man says is a lesson. Um, Again, if we go back to the chameleonaire juxtaposition, which I find kind of funny, um, nothing Camillionaire said was a lesson, but everything Immortal Technique says is a lesson. I watch his Immortal Techniques interviews all day now. I'm just intrigued by his worldview. And this album is no exception. It's fucking incendiary. There's plenty of criticism of the government. There's an entire track titled Homeland and Hip Hop. Um, and there's oh, some sobering yeah. words. Yeah, there's, there's some sobering words about just how brain dead society must be for oxymorons like Homeland Security military 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 intelligence and the u.s department of justice to exist without widespread criticism military intelligence is one of the funniest fucking things i've ever heard in my life if anyone's seen the barbie movie that montage where they they have the fake war that's so funny bro and that is so on point that's what war is just a bunch of dumbass dudes fighting each other with a bunch of random toys that's all it is it's just stupid and pointless and i could do a really deep dive on this album i could quantify mortal techniques targets but i don't have time to do that it's quite dense um and there's so much interview material out there 
has taken up all my time to watch it and get a handle on his persona. But this section of the interview with uh, Gerardo Garcia 3 to promote the album, I think is a great example um, of what draws Tech's ire, especially on this album. He says, I live like a man first, not with the self-interest of any nation at hand. And when we talk people, then we come to a new way of looking at the population of the world. Instead of politically incarcerating people in racist categories as this government policy does, foreign policy, sorry, I grew up and went back to visit a place in Peru called San Martin de Porres, not a very rich place at all, basically the hood. But even then I grew up in Harlem, which is a hood. It's not the worst place in NYC or even the worst place in America. New York City used to be a really fucked up city, but nothing compared to the sickness and drama of these little crack towns on the East Coast or the immigrant camps near the border where people live a life that resembles slavery so much they may as well call it officially that to dispel any rumors, uh, sorry, any illusions. When you grow up not having too much, when your parents are both struggling to raise you, go to college, take care of the family, you may not live in a tin house like our brothers and sisters do in the third world, but you see drugs, you see violence in the street, you see hatred and police brutality. You become a part of that world and you strive not to become a victim of that world and not to buy into the corrupt ideals of a society that doesn't see our success as something that can be done without assimilation that involves the ultimate sacrifice of identity. Like, come on now, bro. Come on. That's a brilliant... That's just... Fucking, it's on point. He, he did, I, he's not writing this shit down. These interviews, he just says this shit. They ask him a question, he just comes happens upon. You become a part of that world, and you strive not to become a victim of that world, and not buy into the corrupt ideals of a society that doesn't see our success as something that can be done without assimilation. That involves the ultimate sacrifice of identity. You know, in Australia, for example, we had the stolen generation. I don't know if people know about this. Um, in the 60s, 50s, 60s, it was probably happening before that. I think it ended in like the 70s or something, but it was happening like throughout the 1900s where the Australian government took indigenous children from their family and gave them to white families to try and assimilate them into our culture. Like it, that's, it's so entrenched. It's so, you know, and I don't think there are, you know, I don't think there's anything else I can say about this album. Like after that quote, um, it's a great album. It's, it's another great album, man. And, and then we get the third world. Yeah, third world. Um, this is an interesting one um, because at the time it drops, is oh wait, right? Um, some of the some of these tracks are just so, so they 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 make me feel like they should have dropped five years ago. Um, like, and <laughs> it's funny because I like the tracks overall. That there's just part, there's just like elements of some of them that just completely jar me. Um, the hook of Lick Shots is, I don't know, just weird to me. I don't know. Just, uh, just seems, it just sounds dated, <laughs> uh, just uh, the way it's being showered at me. Um, I don't know, just, uh, it, 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 I don't know, something about it, just, um, I'm put off by the beat overall, to be honest, is something I'm put off by, but then you get uh, the lyrics, I'm just like, oh shit, all right, cool, now we're, now we're, we're supposed to be at, um, even... Even a verse from King Crooked, uh, Ben's fave, King Crooked. Actually, um, I, you know, I don't mind King Crooked. Either like it. Stop, Joel stop, stop writing, stop writing me so much. Um, and also Chino XL uh, aforementioned, I and that obviously he sits, he sits uh, right at home here. Um, but yeah, Harlem Renaissance, tough track. Uh, one of my favorites out the bunch of just how he describes gentrification and other ills. Just basically breaks down Harlem. 
and the concept of the Harlem Renaissance and why it was called the Harlem Renaissance. And um, I'm actually reading slash looking at a photo book called uh, Black is Beautiful by Kwame Brathwaite. And um, he helped, he was like right in the middle of this, of the boom of like the Harlem, not just after the, after the Harlem Renaissance, where like jazz is just like the thing and it's cool to wear suits and all that shit, right? And he's right in the middle taking photos and of these amazing people. And, you know, it's a very fascinating, very fascinating world from like the Renaissance to like, you know, the 60s where, you know, the, the picture comes a bit more clearer with the likes of um, Motown and uh, stuff like that. But then there's a increasingly more left um black contingent um past that and uh that's what makes that era so fascinating so i i like why he how he just broke down harlem renaissance and uh stuff like that um the th- title track of third world just again lyrically just crazy um of the amount of ground he covers he literally just he literally just globe trots um in uh in the ills of the world uh Jesus Christ, yeah, slave labor, uh, AIDS infect, infested Caribbean slums, African streets with the passports, an American gun. Ay, 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 it's just, yeah, just super dense. I'm from where the Catholic Church is some racist shit. They helped Europe and America rape this bitch. They pray the white Spanish Jesus whose face is this. They never talk about the black Pope Galatius. Just goes on and on man like just cia rico laws coca-cola these are just words being mentioned the mafia um sex tours uh wall street journal readers (laughs) (laughs) is these are just he he manages to put these words on one uh on one verse and it's just absolutely outstanding how he just weaves it um it's really really extremely impressive um Raskas um, is here in Diabolic on Payback. Uh, Rebel Arms, I think, is the last track, and that's crazy. It's just, yeah, this is... Um, uh, and obviously, I know where you're going to go with the with the back end of this particular album because the context of that is so fascinating of, um, of what he did with the relatively very good success of this album. Yeah, I mean, it was successful, surprisingly. Um, DJ Green Lantern told Village Voice in 2008, and, and I, I was curious about this one because I don't know who DJ Green Lantern was working with, but it was an artist like Mortal Technique. Wasn't he working with Eminem? No, it's so Technique? funny, isn't it? Like, I feel like I've, there's always a, every Green Lantern project I hear, I'm just like, the the artist he's doing it with maybe Boo Boo, but his beats just, yeah. He's very consistent, yeah. I respect it. Other releases he did work with Graf Royce, um, Nas, Charles yeah, Hamilton. Royce. Um, yeah, it's incredible. Uncle Murder, like Mike Shinoda, Ghost Case Killer. This man has worked with everyone Eminem, Beanie Siegel, Jade Kiss, like Young Guns. This is wild. Um, so yeah, he told Village Voice in 2008, he said, You had NWA, Tribe Called Quest, Public Enemy all coexisting on the same scene, and that balance is gone. Tech provides the other side of the coin to rappers who just rap about making coins, which helps keep my sanity. So that's, I love that. Um, and by 2008, he was right. You know, the conscious movement that had kind of ushered in the new millennium with Most Def, Q-Tip, Tyler Kweli, Outkast, Common, Kanye West, Tribe, um, 
that had all peaked with Common's 2007 album Finding Forever, at least in the mainstream. That was his first number one album and the second longest wait in hip-hop history for a number one album. LL Cool J had a longer wait, but only by a single day. And like The Massacre in 2006, the peak commercial achievement of a subgenre became a cliff for the entire thing to fall off mainstream-wise. And you could argue Lupe Fiasco, but if Lupe Fiasco had never done Tetsuo and Youth and everything after that, then you would be like, oh, yeah, of course, Lupe Fiasco was incredibly so, but he wasn't. He was dumbing himself down to, to, to chart well at that point. And, you know, Kanye came through with 808s in 2008, T.I. with Paper Trail, Lil Wayne with C3. None of the top 10 selling albums from 2008 could be considered remotely conscious, with the exception of Untitled by Nas. And I think 808 shifted the transition, and Kanye became integral in two phases of conscious hip-hop. He pushed it starkly into the limelight himself, and then he diverted attention away from it and more to vulnerability, something hip-hop had always struggled to embrace, but it now litters every mainstream release. It kind of left Immortal Technique as a bit of a remnant of a time gone. Yes, someone who was actually achieving new commercial peaks, he did an interview with All Hip Hop. It was quite wide-ranging. On his hiatus, um, he said between the two albums, he said, I did a lot of collaborations. I rebuilt my studio. I was touring. I was buying land. I persevered a lot of personal tragedies and issues with family. But more than that, I wanted to get myself situated in the position where now the music flows a lot easier. I'm much more of a prolific writer now because I have so many things that I've set in place in life to arrange things better. I feel like achievement is one thing, but maintenance is a whole other level of this business because people can have a little hit or some shine, but in order to stay relevant and stay connected, there's a lot of work being done. He then lists a bunch of initiatives he's been involved in, uh, Omid International, building orphanages in Afghanistan, raising money for a children's hospital in Palestine, like it, it, it just goes on and on. And on the content of the album, he said, I wanted to get this subject matter out there specifically because we're in a political season and because there's a lot of things that are at stake right now and because we have the false ideas, then all of a sudden, if this happens, things are going to get better. People are telling me on one side, Obama's going to get elected and America's going to be a great place for black people. We're just going to have to cut that revolutionary vein in our hearts and integrate into America. You know, shit like that. And I'm just like, you know all this stuff they're proposing doesn't really sound like the end-all solution to everything, and we don't want to lose our struggle in conformity, which I found very fascinating. He calls himself above all else a revolutionary, and when queried on whether he's a political rapper, he echoes something that Charlie and I have been saying since this podcast began. His response is, tell me one rapper's career that doesn't have politics introduced to it, and I'll give you a million dollars. And that's, you know, this is, we've been saying that all the time. Hip-hop is at its core is is, um, is political. And, you know, uh, yeah, this album is fascinating because it, it did go number 99. It, it went number 99 on the Billboard 200 despite the fact that it was independent, despite the fact of all the facts of Immortal Technique. You know, the, the things he was saying, you got to think about Revolutionary Volume 1, right? What When did that drop? That Was, was that after 9-11 or was that before? Because... Uh, yeah, good point. I just want to check that right... September 14th. <laughs> September, yeah, so it, a couple September of days later. 14th. Holy so shit, think, that's think, fucking nuts. You think about that because he even acknowledged in his interview, he's like, people went way further right after 9-11. And that's, I, I believe that's true from what I've read and seen. People went way more conservative. Governments went way more conservative 
Um, people were scared. People were genuinely scared. And he came left. <laughs> he dropped one of the most left-leaning hip-hop albums in, in history. He continued to succeed. And by the time we got to 2008, he was being embraced by the mainstream, like genuinely. Um, and honestly, I he, right at the, the peak of his mainstream achievement, he left the game. He withdrew from the game almost entirely. He continued to collaborate but bodies of work disappeared. He's never stopped touring. Every single year he's played live shows, but musically it's been quite barren. Um, and so I, I, this episode has an ending that I kind of told you at the start about Immortal Technique and who he is. And I leave this episode in love with him, genuinely. The criticisms I read online, they're even brought up in multiple interviews where interviewers pose to him that he's a conspiracy theorist. Um, these are criticisms of triggered conservative individuals or groups who wish for the world to remain the same because right now, on this ferris wheel they're sat right at the top and people like immortal technique just want to tear the stupid structure down and build something more equal and i think he scares people so much because as he says copious times on wax in interviews he doesn't just talk he does he goes and builds orphanages he hands out meals he speaks to people he's dedicated his life to helping those who cannot help themselves in a 2009 much teased track titled voices of the voiceless um, the main artist was low key and the featured artist was Immortal Technique. And I don't think I can sum it up better than his bars on that. I'll read them out. He says, I keep my third eye hidden under my New York fitted, a crazy unmarried man that deserves to be committed. The future is encrypted in my troubled lyrics. Dream that I've been somewhere for weeks, then wake up in a couple of minutes. Sweat dripping with visions of population control. Thoughts overflowing my world like the melting of the North Pole. My people are targeted like military by military crack committees, so I'm bucking at the feds like in Rapid City. Reality savage, my words are like a riot in Paris. The voice of the voiceless, that voice is social imbalance. So stand strong or sit harder in your mental play palace. Blinded inside a kingdom, united it to its old habits. But now, middle passage coming, war chant, African drumming, Gatling gun humming, rapid fire mechanism, reckless living, that checks the rhythm of perfectionism. Slave condition while you're singing, God save the sister. Oh, bro. Dear, oh dear. Just like, yeah, anyway. I fucking adore Mortal Technique. Yeah, it's um, it's a, I think, a very essential, it's, it's very essential reading um to use university parlance yes um <laughs> it's, it's just yeah it's 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 yeah required reading um to give more technique a spin because you know it makes it kind of re it kind of uh switches up um your kind of uh world view if you take it to heart and understand that you know there's a uh, plenty of artists that mean well, so many, and there are so many artists that I love um, that do things with good faith and do what they you know believe that they can or think what's right, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But geez, man, the way this dude actually puts his words to the sword and you know genuinely acts outside of the music. Again, not to say that nobody else does, but it's it's a le it's a level that makes you want to want more from others. And uh, I guess in in a case, obviously, of just you know being personal, makes you want to do better yeah. yourself. Hopefully, right? Um, or you can go the other way and you know just go reactionary over it, which you know feel free to do. 
<laughs> but you know, here we are. And we'll finish there. Uh, well, I think and just top- one one tiny thing I wanted to say on that, like, <sighs> sorry, yes, but you know, Motor Technique's been doing all this stuff for fifteen years, and no one's heard of him in that time. You know, we don't talk about him; we only talk about Dance with the Devil. So you could argue, if you're sitting at home and being lazy, Motor Technique's not really making a difference at all because no one's talking about it. Nothing's changing. But I think he's the perfect example of you do what you can do and you you know the people that he's helped if you went and talked to them and interviewed them i'm pretty certain they would say he's changed their life if you change one person's life for the better that's a fucking life well lived if you change hundreds that's incredible i don't think you can change millions i don't know that that's a possibility in today's society so you know if you're sitting at home being skeptical and being like well i didn't fucking know and tweeting about Mortal Technique, I didn't see anything about it. Uh, you're an idiot. So, you know, that's not how the world works. So I just want to shout him out because, you know, as I say, if you help one person in life, you're a fucking saint. If you help hundreds or even thousands, which Mortal Technique has done, maybe tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, that's a special human. That's a special person. So, yeah, I love Mortal Technique. Shout out Mortal Technique. I mean, that's it. We shall leave it there and hope to a light note. Have anything for no, nothing this week. I already covered the jacket. And the See, zip he ru- he ruined it, but he 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 ruined it by talking about the zip, just first thing. Didn't want to save it. I was too excited, but people knew. Good. People wanted to know. I left him on a cliffhanger last week. You can't l- fix the cliffhanger right at the end. That's not fair. You got to give it the straight away. But to be honest, nothing else light has happened in my week. That was the highlight <laughs> of my week. My week has been shit house, but the zipper thing. It's a big win, man. It's a big win. Apart from that, nothing good has happened. I have no lighter note. Okay. <laughs> just, just say it. It would have helped <laughs> to just, you know, hold it down for, for a little bit. But okay, great, outstanding. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hopefully going to London a couple of times this week. Uh, 50-50 on going to Nine Hill Carnival. To be honest, uh, I'm just, I'm just. I don't have the mental energy for that much sensory overload. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's saying I, I want to... I, I'd like to take pictures, but my laptop's fucked. So I'm getting a fix this week, so i am kind of just been... Uh, I've I kind of just been dealing with a, sh- with a, with a broken-ass laptop uh, to <laughs> in the past week. So it's not, it's not been that light for me. Um, it's just at a point where I'm just like, okay, this is what it is what's happening um i literally just sent ben a picture of what my laptop screen looks like and oh yeah it's just uh it's 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 not great it's not great so it looks like something's wrong with it and yes you there's something wrong with it yeah it's uh it's wrong with it yeah it's really white isn't it yeah (laughs) that's weird it looks like my screen has cataracts to describe it ladies and gentlemen yeah i don't know what's Um, going on so yeah, get my screen replaced hopefully um, on Monday and uh, hopefully I have it back before we record next week. And until then, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> there you go, proper game show uh, shit that was. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, fun the 5UPN. This has been Dig Digits, so enjoy this episode. I've been Charlie Taylor for Philip. Hey man, Carter for your numbers. I hope you all have a good week. I sure always try and do the same. Depends if my laptop's fucked or not. <laughs> 
<laughs> until hopefully until the next time. Who knows? Thank you. This could be the last episode ever of yeah, literally. <laughs>